Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, September 11th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I know we talked about this the other day um, about September 11th and where you were, and I, I believe we were in the exact same place because we were both working at Wharton at the time, watching those events unfold on a little kind of TV screen that they had set up um, in the lounge and dance hall at Wharton. But I, that, that was that's my memory, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I absolutely remember being, well, initially in my office with a few other students during the unfolding of the tragic events. And then... Yeah moving along to the to the large TV screen amongst everybody. But yeah, yeah. it is definitely something I will never forget. Yeah, same, kind of etched in the memory. Um, so I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that, obviously thinking about everyone who was lost on that day. Um, but let's turn to happier stuff. Um, let's talk about the MBA admission cycle, which is kind of in full force now, right? Yeah, we're kicking into high gear now. Um, certainly last, last week, you know, a couple of real big hit, hitters had their round one deadlines. This week, Stanford, Yale, INSEAD, Columbia, Kellogg, Haas and Ross are amongst the top schools with round one deadlines. So we're really hitting into the peak of the round one um, application season. Yeah, definitely. So, um, and actually to help in that regard, for people who are still working on applications, and even for those looking at round two, um, we're going to do an event this Wednesday. Uh, I'll be emceeing a, a kind of panel where I sit down with admissions directors from Berkeley, Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, uh, Washington, Foster. So it should be... Um, Let's see. Yeah. So is that right? Yeah. So that's five schools, right? So I've got, <laughs> um, I've got to go over the agenda for that. But this Wednesday, noon Eastern, it's part of our essay kind of insights series. We did these in the summer as well. Um, so join us if you want to get some cool insights into the application and specifically the essay um, writing process for those programs. And then every week uh, for three weeks in a row, we're going to do this. And, and so we have other schools coming in subsequent weeks, including Wharton, Columbia, Yale, et cetera. So stay tuned for that. That should be fun. You can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash CA fall essays, all one word, all lowercase. Um, so that'll be fun, Alex. No, fantastic events, though. They are no, no doubt. And, and re, re, Clear Admit published some um, essay tips this week, I, I, I reckon. Yeah. So uh, again, all of this kind of being in line with what we know people are kind of working on, which is, you know, just fr frantically submitting round one applications or even gearing up for round two. So we did a series of essay tips. One's about whether or not you should write an optional essay. Another one is about polishing your essays at the end, kind of that final review. And then a third tip we published was about word limits and character counts. And you and I talk about these um, kind of uh, concepts in the Admissions Academy video series. So basically, no one has any excuse. You can either watch this information and videos with Alex and me, or you can read these tips on the website. I would argue you probably need to do both because you know we, we go into a bit more depth in the videos, and, and so it's a good good thing to check out both. Um, but yeah, just all this stuff in mind, kind of trying to keep people um, flushed with good information as they work on <laughs> their applications. Very good. Um, so next up, I did want to say, you know, talking about all these schools and the events we're having, we got an email um, about the podcast um, from the executive director of admissions over at NYU Stern. Um, I'll just read it out because, you know, <laughs> it's just an interesting. Uh, she writes, hi, Graham and Alex. I was doing my usual this morning, walking the dog and enjoying the latest episode of Wiretaps. And I wanted to offer some food for thought on episode 307, Second Candidate. 
the Chilean engineer. Um, so Alex, um, the, I don't know if you remember this, but this is a guy who's a little bit older, working in tech, wants to stay in tech, and, and he had we profiled him last week. Um, or it could be a gal, I guess. I don't know if we know the gender of this person. I can't remember. But in any event, um, so the director of Mission at CERN writes, for someone with experience in tech who's looking to stay in tech, might a one-year focused MBA program be something worth exploring? I'm thinking, of course, of Stern's Andre Koo Tech MBA, but also the one-year tech MBA offered by Cornell Johnson. If this person is worried about time out of the workforce and is looking to level up within tech rather than make a major pivot, a one-year focus program may be worth a look. I uh, hope you both had a nice summer, Lindsay. So that that was the letter we got, Alex. And you know, I, I think it's pretty interesting. What, what's your take on her advice there? Well, I think the advice is is um, really, really good. And yet we're a bit remiss, I think, sometimes in not focusing on some of these one year programs as, as you know, obviously the two year model is is the more traditional approach um, for the MBA. But it, as, 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 as they explain, it's it, this is someone coming from tech, um, remaining in tech, no pivot. Um, so maybe um, these more specialized programs, and, and as she noted, um, Stern and, and, and Johnson um, um, would, would, would work well for this um, candidate. Um, and for this type of candidate, um, I do love the thought that she's listening to to the podcast um, <laughs> whilst, whilst walking the dog. Obviously, I'm a huge animal lover, um, but but also I think it does. I mean, show that, that there's a little bit of trust um, um, for 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 this podcast and the way we approach um, MBA admissions amongst the. Um, among, amongst the, the big gatekeepers of these top programs. So, so I really, really like that. Yeah, no, very cool to know. Uh, the other thing is we've got another letter in the mail. So this is all about last week's episode. I guess people kind of came out of the woodwork on it. Um, and this one is from a person that we profiled. So I don't know if you remember last week, we talked about a guy who um, or gal who was kind of debating full-time versus part-time. Uh, this person's based in Chicago, and they're like, oh, I'll apply to part-time at Booth and Kellogg, and then maybe some full-time programs like Ross. And they were, I think they'd re- recently um, been married, and, and they were saying they're kind of hedging, might want to stay in their job. They're earning quite a bit of money. Um, and so they wrote to us and said, hello, I'm reaching out because I'm the full-time versus part-time profile that was featured on episode 307. I just wanted to say thank you for your insight. You've inspired me to apply to Kellogg full-time and wait on part-time applications and apply down the line if I don't get favorable results with my full-time apps. So that's cool. They're following our advice. Um, Then they continue though, and they say, I'm now a bit anxious that I will be unable to meet round one deadlines for all the schools. And they go on, they talk a little bit about Ross and how they love Ross. And so they're going to apply to Ross in the first round, but they, you know, basically the question they ask in this email, they say, I'm wondering if you guys think I'll be at a major disadvantage applying in round two to some of these schools, if I'm coming from an overrepresented majority group as a white male engineer, uh, sorry, white male with an engineering degree. So Alex, what do you make of that? Should, should they be worried about some round two apps since they're running out of time? Yeah, I don't think so at all. I think what, what we've seen in terms of trends in the app mark, application market over the last several years is a shrinking of the domestic applicant pool um, overall and, and an increasing volume of, of um, applicants coming from certain, certain regions of the world. So because they're part of that domestic pool, um, I certainly don't think that they're, they're going to be um, harmed by applying in round two um, over round one. So I'm really excited that they're um, taking this step um, and going all in on on full time. And I wish them the best of luck. But yeah, round two is going to be perfectly fine. 
Yeah, I totally agree. So I want to thank them for you know tuning in and 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 for following our advice about you know going for it full time. But I, I do agree, split the apps. And you know, I did write this person a letter because they wrote to us via email. So I wrote them back, and I also mentioned that you know they they applied to their top choices in the first round here, get them in, and they may not need to do any more. You know, they might end up finding out about round one results before they even have to submit those round two applications. So our fingers are crossed. <laughs> so so if if they get into Kellogg and Ross in round one. Yeah. Are you going to tell them not to bother applying to Stanford or Harvard or Wharton <laughs> in round two? I don't know. I mean, they seem like they're pretty head over heels when it comes to either Kellogg or Ross. So, I mean, those are both great programs. So I guess, you know, we'd have to, yeah, that, that's an interesting debate. But let's, let's cross that bridge <laughs> when we come to it. But hopefully they do get those admits in the first round. Yeah, best of luck to them, for yeah. sure. So, all right. So moving on, um, HBS, Harvard Business School, has a new head of admissions. Her name is RuPaul uh, Gadia, and she graduated uh, herself from Harvard Business School, class of 2004. And I was kind of looking over her profile. She's got a lot of work in brand strategy and consulting for some pretty big name uh, firms. I cannot wait to get to know her. I mean, she seems like a great addition to their team. And the only thing I'll call attention to is I was reading through her Q&A. You know, she did a nice little um, Q&A to sort of talk about her joining the team at Harvard. And the thing that struck me the most was, I mean, she just went out of her way to compliment her teammates um, and you know, all the colleagues she's working with and to point out that they just know so much more than her about admissions and that she has a lot to learn. And so I, I just thought um, leading with that kind of humility was such a nice um, touch. And, and so I, I have a feeling she's going to do amazing things. And I, again, can't wait to meet her. Maybe we'll get her on the show at some point too. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And um, you know, Harvard is sticking to its guns in terms of its recruiting process for this position, um, as she has an MBA from Harvard, which is the same as, as her predecessors. And that makes Harvard a little bit um, unusual as a top program, I think, in that regard. Um, but I, I, I think she's, she's going to be a great um, addition. I think she, she starts in October, which I know um, round one applications will be in, in the bank and, and interview invites will be flying out and so forth. So I imagine this season she's going to take a bit of a wait and see and a, a approach and real, really learning what is for, 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 for her a very new industry. Um, but again, this is very much um, Harvard's MO. And I, I wish you the best of luck. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that all turns out. Um, and again, try to get her on the show and have her do an admissions Q&A um, on the site as well. Uh, the other thing, we did an article that I thought would be interesting to you, Alex. We did an article about INSEAD ran a strategy competition um, where they kind of paired consulting and sustainability. And so, you know, we know that many business schools run these kind of case competitions or competitions where you're given a business problem and, and the business students are, are kind of put into little teams and, and the, the team that comes up with the best ideas as judged by a panel of industry experts and professors, wins. Um, the key wrinkle this time around was that it was really all focused around sustainability and the challenges that large corporations face in, you know, kind of getting with the program when it comes to sustainability. And so I just thought it was interesting because, you know, it's sort of the first nod to INSEADS um, that they've kind of renewed their MBA curriculum with a lot of kind of embedded um, lessons on sustainability across the core. So it's just an interesting thing to see happening. And it's a, read the article on the site because there's a lot of nice detail there and, and some links onto the, the school's pages and things. But uh, so NCA definitely out in front on sustainability and kind of updating their core curriculum and stuff. 
Yeah, no, it's, I think this is brilliant. And, and really, all programs need to be looking at their core curriculum and how they need to re-engineer it in the context of climate change and other sort of ex- existential crises that we face um, yeah. um, going forward. And I think, you know, business needs to lead that um, challenge, right? I mean, governments are, are, are sort of, as institutions, they, they sort of lack some trust and so on and so forth. But I think business can really make that, well, it has to, um, yeah. so quite frankly. So, so no, this is really cool. Yeah, definitely. So check out the article on the site. Um, two other kind of things that I wanted to discuss before we get into this week's candidates. Uh, we did and continue to do all these admissions director Q&A interviews. Uh, Lauren on our team, as I always mentioned, she, she kind of manages that process. And she's recently had Q&As with uh, Digo Malta, who's the director of admissions at UT Austin McCombs. We also ran one uh, where she connected with Bailey McChesney, who is the director of admissions at Vanderbilt Owen. And then finally, we caught up with our old friend, Danielle Ritchie from UNC Keenan Flagler. Danielle's been in that role for quite some time. And uh, she's always, a, um, we always see her at the GMAC conference and um, just a great, great person to hang out with, as is Digo. <laughs> so so a, a couple of- uh, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I, I was going to ask about the prior two, because I, 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 even I, I don't remember. Know. Yeah, um, <laughs> Digo. I don't know Bailey as well um, over right. at Vanderbilt, but I know Digo and Danielle and always have a good time with them at the GMAC conference. So in any event, those Q are up. I'm not going to quote from each of them like I often would do because we just have a lot of things. Um, things are busy, and so we got to keep moving the, the show along. Because I did want to talk about UCLA's class profile, um, which just published. I think that's the second school that's put out their class profile, at least of the kind of top schools that Clear Admit typically covers on this show and on our website. Uh, you'll recall we talked about Wharton's class profile a week or two ago. Uh, so let's see. So for UCLA, I'm going to give you the numbers and, and how they compare to last year. And then we'll maybe you can weigh in and let me know what you think. So let's see. The average GPA, and they, they just give a middle 80% uh, at UCLA. So that range is 3.1 to 3.8. Uh, they do the same thing on the GMAT. Well, they give a middle 80%, which was 650 to 760. Um, they also do give the average for the GMAT, which was 710. Um, if you're keeping score at home, the GPA is unchanged from last year's class that came in. Um, the GMAT last year was 711, so one point higher. And that middle 80% range was a little bit skewed higher. So it was 660 to 760 um, instead of 650 to 760. Uh, they have 37% women in the class. That's up a little bit from 35% last year. They have 48% international. That's also up 1% over last year. Um, They have 28% minorities in the class. And let's see, anything else? The only thing that I wanted to note is that it seems like there are fewer engineers in this class. So actually about 7% fewer engineers. Um, they do list you know, what degrees people come from. And so while, while people coming from kind of a business undergrad or um, humanities, those stats kind of stayed the same. The engineering number dropped down a bit. Uh, they did receive a total of 2,180 applications. That's down about 12% from the year prior when they received 2,471 applications. And as I think I may have mentioned, they have 300 students in their class. Um, That's different too, in that they had 330 last year. Um, And if you're remembering from years even earlier than that, they used to have about 360. So they've been kind of um, lessening the class size a little bit. Um, But Alex, what do you make of their numbers overall? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the big 
news or, 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 or the highlight is, is this reduction in class size. Um, and it appears to be as a consequence of a reduction in the app volume. So if app application volumes um, drop, schools basically have one of two choices or a blend of the two. Um, reduce class size a little bit or, or harm the overall quality of the, the, the student mm -hmm. um, and profile for, for the incoming class. So they've effectively held the class profile quality um, at par or, or very close to um, whilst dropping um, the, the, the number of incoming students. So, so yeah, I don't think that was their goal going into the season, but I think it's probably a consequence of the, the lower number of applications. It'll be interesting to see if this trend, or if this becomes a trend, I should say, um, across programmes this season. We, as you pointed out, we've only heard from Wharton, um, or, or at least we've only reported on Wharton um, thus far. Um, and just the other numbers that always stand out to me a little bit is that sort of... Um, higher international student number at UCLA relative to their peer schools, yeah. which corresponds to a slightly lower um, percentile for, 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 for women in the class. Um, and and that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me at all. Those two numbers tend to correlate, um, even if it's in a reverse direction. So, um, so yeah, no, it'll be interesting, Graham, to see how other programs um, fit and if we're going to see a pattern here in terms of slightly lower class sizes with the lower app volume of last season. Yeah. And I, I will say, I mean, some of these schools, you know, during the COVID era, they expanded a bit um, to take in more students and now they're shrinking back down. Others, I think it's just right. due to the, you know, there's, again, I, I do think it's smart on UCLA Anderson's part to, you know, maintain the quality. Um, they've obviously kept their numbers really high and, and solid. And, and so, you know, we'll see. I, I, yeah. I, I really you, you you don't sit in the budget office, Graham. No, <laughs> I'm sure the people in the budget office feel differently, but but yeah, <laughs> um, but we'll see how it all turns out. Anyway, I wanted to we'll continue to profile these as they come in. This is that time of year where schools are releasing their class profiles, so we should see some more. In fact, I think I saw Duke's uh, Fuqua school go up on the site moments ago or late yesterday or something. So I I, I haven't looked at it yet though. So we're not going to talk about it today. <laughs> um, but let's move on. I guess we're ready to get into our candidates. Unless you had anything else. Now let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretap's candidate number one. Our first candidate this week is applying to three schools, and they want to start in the fall of 24. Those three schools are Harvard, Wharton, and UT Austin McCombs. Uh, this candidate is an Army logistics officer. And post-MBA, they're thinking about consulting in the near term and then maybe getting into industry and an operations role in the long term. The companies that they're considering right now for that post-MBA first job are Bain, Booz Allen Hamilton, BCG, McKinsey, and PwC. Their GMAT score is a 670 and their GPA is a 3.1. They've had four years of work experience. They're located in Texas, and they do mention in the notes that they graduated from a service academy. So we have to take that GPA and, and recognize that very little grade inflation. Uh, they said they've held multiple leadership roles as an army officer, managing anywhere from 10 to 100 soldiers. Um, they haven't had any deployments, but they have um, done three training center rotations, which have taken them to Alaska, Louisiana, um, and I guess the third one they're about to go on, and that's in California. They are planning on retaking the GMAT in late October, and they're thinking they might be able to get a 700, but they are not so confident about going much beyond that. 
And so they're wondering, yeah, what do we make of their candidacy? Again, 670 right now um, and a 3-1 from a service academy. What's your take, Alex? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the numbers do stand out a little bit um, in terms of their overall profile, because let's assume their service career is, is strong um, and, and and so forth. And, you know, top adcom tend to like um, military candidates, um, you know, for all the right reasons. Um, so, so um, you know, having that 673-1 is going to sort of potentially limit their their opportunities. So they're retaking the GMAT um, in, in October, applying in round two, which makes perfect sense. There's no need for them to rush their applications in for round one. Um, and, you know, I would just really encourage them to do whatever they can to find more time to do the level of prep that's required to get their best score. Um, so whether that's a 700 or a 720 or whatever that might be, just so that they go into the test thinking, all right, I've been able to fully prepare myself. Because that's what they're, they're competing against when they're competing against other candidates across the board that have that luxury of, 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 of the time um, for their preparation. So get that best score. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of their um, target schools, they initially um, included Harvard and Wharton and then um, UT Austin, Macombs. Um, they obviously have a preference for Texas. I mean, that's where they're, they're yeah, that, that's where they're looking to be in the long run. So Macombs makes sense. But I think, you know, there's quite a few tiers between um, Harvard and Wharton and Macombs. So they need to... And fill those gaps, I think, with with um, several other schools, maybe another M7, a couple of top 16 and so forth. And it looks like they're planning to do that. I think they followed followed up and talked about adding Top, Darden and Kellogg. Yeah. Um, so that sped the risk a little bit. But I do think this GMAT is going to be so super important, Graham. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when I see, you know, even though they went to a service academy, when I see a 3-1 yeah. and, a, and a 670 or something, it, it and then I see Harvard and Wharton as the top two targets, I get a little nervous. So I was happy to see that they're thinking about casting a wider net um, to cover more of that ground, as you say. Uh, and then, you know, I, I just, I, I think that, it, yeah, it would just, they don't need to be in the first round, as we say, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're going to be not overrepresented. And and as you say, admissions officers tend to like military um, candidates for their kind of leadership experience, teamwork experience, et cetera. So I, I think they'll be fine applying in round two. And so, like you say, spend a ton of time prepping for the tests, even get, if they can get that score up, uh, you know, and they're doing all the other right things. They're going to, um, connecting with, you know, veterans clubs at campuses and, and, and all that stuff. Um, so that, that'll be helpful. Um, the other thing I should mention is they, they did write a nice little note in their comments. They said, appreciate all y'all do. I have made wiretaps part of my daily commute. So they're listening <laughs> on a regular basis. I guess there are plenty of back episodes that people can binge listen <laughs> to. Um, if hopefully there's no one else in the car that they're um, forcing to <laughs> to go through that with. But in any event, it's you know I, I do think this person could be a great candidate, and I I don't want them to be held back just by a kind of low test score. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, do you have a sense? I mean, I, just before we move on, like. 3-1, I, I feel like I've seen better GPAs out of the service academies, right? So that, that was the only thing. I, I know that there's no grade inflation, but I do think of 3-1 as being a bit lower, and that's why 
you don't want to couple it with a lower test score, right? I think, yeah, it'd just be good to have. I mean, that would be, that would be my um, um, feedback right there. I mean, even though there's no grade inflation, the overall GPA will be considered below the median. And you want to try to balance that with your best test score. And the closer to the median or whatever that test score is, the better it's going to be. Agreed. All right. So I want to thank that candidate for their service and obviously for sharing their profile and and chatting with us on the website um, or chatting with you, I should say. Um, But let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week also wanting to go to school in the fall of 24, um, and they have seven schools that they're looking at. And the schools are Berkeley, Boston College, Carnegie Mellon Tepper, Georgetown McDonough, Washington Foster, UCLA Anderson, and USC Marshall. Uh, This candidate is also um, in the military. Uh, They would like to get into technology, and they have companies like Amazon, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Tesla on their target list. Their GRE is a 310 and their GPA is a 3.4. They've got three years of experience. They're located in Seattle, Washington, and they want to land on the West Coast. In the notes, they elaborate a little bit on their story. They point out that they went from a 303 to a 305 to a 310 on the GRE. So they've taken it three times, managed to boost the score a bit. And they also did take the GMAT, they mentioned, and they scored a 600. And they had a question about that, which we'll get into in a moment. In terms of their work, though, their current US Army officer working as an executive officer of a 100-person organization that focuses on innovation and experimentation in missile defense. Uh, so that's kind of the, the, the work. They have a lot of um, other things. They volunteer with a couple of different uh, organizations outside of work. I mean, one is kind of related to the military, but the other is um, kind of related to cancer research. And they do mention that they are a longtime lurker on our website and a weekly listener to the podcast. And they say, thanks for all that you guys do. So I want to thank them for that. But Alex, what do you make of this candidacy? Because here again, we have a military person um, and the GRE in this case is a little bit low. Yeah, I mean, again, this this candidate's reasonably similar to our first candidate in as much as their test score is the Achilles heel that, that could come back and haunt them. Um, so they've taken their GRE three times. They've seen improvement each time they've taken it. Um, they've seen increasing improvement each time they've taken <laughs> it. So I'm hoping that they do... Um, Take it one more time, uh, maybe under the new GRE format, um, and really, again, much like the first candidate, see what they can do to find that time that they can prep to get their best score. Um, Because, frankly, that's really, really important. Um, Because a 310 is a real outlier. Our previous candidate had a 670. That's within range, even though it's at the outer edge of the range for many top programs but a 310 I would say is out of range for the very top programs now um, admittedly this candidate's not necessarily applying to all the very top schools I mean but but they've got Hass in there right they've got a few others that that are going to demand a pretty rigorous um, um, test score so I would say absolutely um, retake the the test don't target round one um, go go for round two right um, and um, you know 
it's quite possible. I know you're going to talk about this, Graham, but maybe they 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 take the the approach that if not this season, maybe next season. Yeah. So a couple of things struck me. So first of all, you're making a great point. The 310 is a little bit of an outlier, right? Remember when we were talking earlier about UCLA Anderson's stats and, and UCLA is one of their targets, right? So they showed the middle 80%. And for the GMAT, the middle 80% um, that they gave was like 650 to you know 760 or something, right? And I think that a 310 on the GRE maps pretty low, right? It maps to like, if, if you are going to map, and I know most of the um, <laughs> what do they call them? Psychometricians who make these types of exams would say you can't compare the two exams. But on all the charts that exist that do compare the two exams, I think a 310 maps more like to a 640 or it, it's lower. It's probably on the bottom end of the range that UCLA would you know be taking students in. So, right. so that's a concern, right? And so they need to take it again. I agree. They could apply in the second round. Doesn't matter. They're not going to be overrepresented. But as you alluded to, I also was thinking, well, they only have three years of experience, which is going to be below average for some of these programs on their list. And so they could take the approach of like, you know, well, maybe I'll take the test again. If it doesn't work out, I can't get the score up. Maybe they wait and they, you know, work to kind of get a better score over the spring and apply in the first round next year. Or they could take a flyer on some schools in round two this year with a lower score and see where they land. But yeah, I'm just not comfortable with, I mean, the three, four is not bad. Um, and, and everything else is kind of lining up. They have some nice activities. They they have a really good range of target schools. I, I guess I'm just, I'm a little worried that they may end up shooting, kind of punching a little under their weight or something if they go through the process this year. Let's say they get into a Boston college, right? Um, I just wonder if, you know, if there's more out there for them. Right. And so that's why I'm kind of wanting them to take the test again, boost that score and open up some other options. Yeah. And and I, they, they asked also a question about whether they should also report their 600 um, GMAT. And I think the answer to that is no, right? Because at the end of the day, their GRE score is, is under, uh, you know, below the considerably below the median so is their gmat so by reporting also their gmat score they're not making any additional point other than their commitment to the process but taking the gre already three times signals that commitment to the process so yeah i don't think they need to um, worry about reporting their gmat also yeah, I wouldn't do it. I mean, because, yeah, like you say, it would just yeah. show two two kind of examples of them coming in below the average, right? And so I would rather, yeah, um, yeah keep that. They should keep that themselves if they can. So, um, yeah, it's it's tricky. And I, and I, you know, I should probably look at a conversion chart before speaking. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it's... Um, yeah, it's it's. I really think that three ten is going to map pretty low. Um, if we were, you know, yeah. doing that. So in any event, um, I do want to thank them for their service and for posting to the site, just as I did our first poster, um, for this week. And and hopefully they'll take our advice to heart, work on the test, get a tutor, whatever they need to do, because I think they could open up a, a pretty wide range of schools if they should just boost that score. Um, so we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, and and just to re re, sorry, re reaffirm a point that I make on 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 this podcast on a reasonably regular basis schools are not only focused on the test score but if the test score is your weakest element it becomes the most important piece of your profile so you know be that as it may um, elevating the weakest part of your profile which is something you have a little bit of control over is the best way forward
Yeah, agreed. So in any event, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens. They can obviously leave us comments on their posts if they wanted to ask any more questions about how to proceed. But again, I think there's some, you know, there, there's some room for them to, to, to make some gains uh, on the test and, and put forth a, a better effort and get into some top schools. So let's see how it goes. Um, but let's move on, Alex, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So our third candidate this week has just four schools on the target list, and they also want to start in the fall of 24. The schools are Emory, uh, University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, and UNC Keenan Flagler. Um, before business school, this person has done a range of things, but they include work in kind of data analytics, advertising, and digital marketing. And post-MBA, they're thinking about getting into the airline industry. They talk about wanting to do sort of operations and logistics or, or revenue type work um, with a major airline like Delta or American or United. They want to get on a kind of leadership track at one of those firms. Uh, their GPA from undergraduate is a 3.24. They've got eight years of work experience. So this is a relatively older candidate, probably about 30 years old. Uh, they're located in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they want to land in Atlanta, Georgia, if possible. Um, and so one of the key things that they wanted us to discuss is they mentioned they are considering asking for a test waiver. And they say, I'm considering asking for a test waiver given my years of experience in a quantitative field, but I'm still unsure. And they also mentioned that their GPA, uh, which I'll remind you is a 3.24, is from a NESCAC school. Um, and they say, with a baby on the way, I'm getting my application in round one, ab absent in round one, because I won't have time after. I'm pursuing an MBA to switch into aviation, which I mentioned earlier. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of this, Alex. And so there are a few things that I think we should talk about. I mean, one is what's your overall take, but then I want to specifically get into this question of whether they should go into the process without a test. Um, and then finally, they mentioned that their undergrad is this NESCAC, which is the New England, uh, oh gosh, I've got to dig it up again, but there's an acronym that the, <laughs> it's basically, um, yeah, what is it? New England Small College, College Athletic Conference. <laughs> um, and it, it consists of a lot of different schools, Amherst, Bates, Bowdoin, Williams, Trinity, Tufts, Wesley, and there, there's a long list of them. So they're all very good schools for the most part. So I'll stop there. What do you make of this candidacy? And let's get into some of these questions they had. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that they went to a very good school. Um, but a 324, again, is still below the median, right? And we talked about our first candidate with a 3.1 out of the service academy. Right. Um, you, with no grade inflation. So, so at the end of the day, you know, these GPAs are not going to stand out. Um, so so you, it, it's better if you can have other data points that help you stand out. In the case of the first candidate, retake the GMAT, get something slightly over the 700s would be really helpful. In the case of the, this candidate, <laughs> taking the GMAT might be really helpful. Um, so so this test waiver thing, I, I get very nervous about. Let's just assume their work experience is really good. I mean, I like the type of work experience, data analytics, digital marketing is right in my wheelhouse. Not that <laughs> that necessarily is favorable to Adcom, but I is very, sure. Interesting work experience. I like their goals. Makes perfect sense. They're obviously very regionally focused. They want to be in Atlanta. They want to work for an airline. I think headquartered in Atlanta, and so on and so forth. They're targeting schools that are in those regions, which I think is a really smart strategy. Makes perfect sense. Um, but the, this whole idea of, of of getting a test waiver um, may limit their opportunity. 
Um, perhaps each of the schools that they've listed are the only schools in that area maybe that offer a test waiver. I, mean, I don't know that, but, um, but I'm speculating because there might be a couple of schools that are not on this list that you might want to encourage them to apply. <laughs> Um, but but they're, they're limiting their opportunity, I think, whether it's for, for admissions or for scholarship money. Um, we see time after time over the last couple of years when this test waiver stuff bubbled up post-COVID, um, where folks are on the, wait, on, on the wait list and they're like, well, I, I got a test waiver. It's like, well, go take the bloody test then. <laughs> well, excuse my language. Go take the <laughs> test then because it's a clear signal that the school, whilst it offers the test waiver, um, sees that yeah, the, 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 the candidacy is lacking in something. So I, I do think it's a very risky strategy, and especially if that GPA isn't off the charts um, and, and so on and so forth. So yeah. um, And I know they've got a baby on the way. I know they've got stuff to do. They want to be in round one, but you know they can prepare everything in, in that timeline of round one, and then, as as you know, they they have their their, their baby or whatever. They, you know, they just do whatever they can do to find time yeah. to um, really ramp up test prep. Yeah, it'll be a good um, exercise anyway because if they're going to pursue an MBA with a newborn around, um, they're going to need to learn how to juggle anyway. So I think the yeah. the applications will seem like nothing. I, I, I reckon <laughs> you might know something about that, Graham. Yeah. Not that I can. I I have empathy, but I'm sure you do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So I would say. Um, so a couple of points on this one. You know, as good as the NESCAC schools are, there is a range, right? So Williams and Amherst sitting at the top of that group, and then there's some other schools, whether it's Trinity or um, I guess Connecticut College, that are maybe lower ranked. Um, maybe as low as like number fifty for liberal arts colleges in the U.S. So, you know, I, I think that they're not gonna, they, they're not going to be able to ride that three point two four as far as they may think. Um, and so, as you say, that that then begs the question: Well, where's the you know other academic data point? And I do want to stress, and it's something we talk about a lot on the show: your work experience, even if you're a banker or someone who's really quantitative doesn't make up for academic experience when it comes to quantitative chops. So I've never met an admissions officer that says to me, oh yeah, you know, when we're looking for evidence of quantitative skill, even if they were an English major, if they did some a little bit of quant at work, well, that's fine. No, they're almost always looking for people to, to have done in an academic setting, statistics, calculus, maybe some econ, those, that's what they're looking for. And in the absence of that, then they look at the test. That's their next favorite measure. Um, and so it's not really, so I, I'm sure the work they've done is quantitative, but for one reason or another, it's not going to, these these different dimensions of the application, the academics, the kind of work experience and the outside activities, they don't really spill into one another, right? You're sort of assessed in each right. one. And so for better or for worse, the test score sits in the academic um, category. So they need, to, I think they need to take the test. It may open up scholarship dollars if they do well. Um, it may allow them to then apply to another school like Duke, which is a great program in their region that could um, have, you know, has nice operations um, coursework that would be helpful for them to get to an airline. So that's my advice. I really think they need to take the test. As you say, um, that might open up the number of schools they could apply to. Um, and, you know, I, I should mention they have really great outside activities. They were, you know, a competitive rower in, in undergrad, it sounds like, and they continue to do that. They're really dedicated to that sport. So there's, there's a lot to like here. And I just would hate for them to kind of, as you say, languish like on a wait list because, you know, the committee's like, yeah, this is a great candidacy. Let's just put them on the list and see if they'll take the test since we need that data point. 
Um, so anyway. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more, especially also the hat tip towards rowing. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So in any event, um, I want to thank them for their post. Uh, Alex, as always, do a great job picking out really interesting candidates to discuss. Uh, and if you're willing, we'll do it all next week again. And uh, yeah, I'll see you in a week, I guess. Very good. Take care. Stay safe, everyone.